Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, who uh, has just made it back, jet lag and bleary eyed from a four day jet setting trip to China, uh, where he attended an academic conference. And we're glad to have you back on the show. Welcome, if you're still awake with us. <laughs> yes, I'm barely awake. Okay, and then uh, joining us from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London is Tom Burgess, who's an investigative, an investigations uh, reporter there, and a former correspondent in Johannesburg and Lagos. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Tom. Uh, pleasure. I'm 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 also awake. Yes, you are awake and hopefully not as jet lag as uh, as Cobus is. Uh, hey, before we get started, I want to give a, a quick shout out to uh, any of our new listeners who are joining us uh, from the China File website. Cobus, you and I are in very august uh, company now that we are in a partnership with the China File website. And for those of you not familiar with China File, it's the site of the Asia Society, and it really is the high and mighty of Sinology. Uh, some of the best writing on China is there. And frankly, we feel a little humbled that we're alongside, uh, you know, Elizabeth Economy, Orville Schell and the big ones there. And even the great Kaiser Guo and Jeremy Goldcorn, the gods of China podcasting are there. So uh, but we're there and every uh, most of our shows will be up on that site. So check out Chinafile.com. And so we're just really, really excited to be a part of that. So today we're going to talk about the middlemen in the China-Africa relationship. And going through some of Tom's recent reporting, which we'll get into detail, it reminds me of a time... Uh, back in the French Empire in Africa, and there was a man by the name of Jacques Faucard. And Jacques Faucard was a man at the time who was very little, little known. Uh, he was, his title was the Chief Advisor on Africa Policy, but that very bland title uh, had no indication of his true power in bringing together billions of dollars of deals and basically being the glue that connected France with its colonies in Africa and, and facilitating a lot of the dirty deals and the corruption as well that went with uh, France, uh, France's deals. He was an advisor to Charles de Gaulle, François Mitterrand, later than Jacques Chirac. Uh, in the United States, we, you know, long after Henry Kissinger stepped out of office as the Secretary of State, he opened up a firm called Kissinger and Associates. Uh, and basically what he did was he facilitated the American reach around the world, connecting governments, corporations, and doing, uh, and doing things like that. And a lot of it you know, questionably legal. Uh, certainly, I'm not going to accuse Kissinger and Associates of doing anything illegal because they will probably come find me and do something horrible. Uh, but at the same time, it is very opaque. And there's a man by the name of Sam Pa. And this is a man who is affiliated with, a, again, a very kind of opaque group called the Queensway Syndicate or China International Fund. It's by its formal name. And this is what Tom and a group of his colleagues at the Financial Times did some very, very good reporting on. And I guess, you know, the best Best way to start this conversation, Tom, is just to kind of let's lay it out there. Who is Sam Pa, and why is he important? I think Sam's important because he is uh, he's part of the underbelly of this Chinese relationship with Africa. That's the that's the extent to which he's important in Africa. And to understand him and how he and his associates operate is to try to understand. Um, what's going on beneath the rhetoric and beneath the public set pieces of um, assorted African rulers and assorted Chinese uh, big cheeses standing beneath flags and signing memoranda of understanding and cooperation agreements. This has all been billed by and large over the past decade or so that China's been um, uh, advancing into Africa as uh, broadly, I think, as uh, as a kind of state-to-state relationship uh, between, uh, if not always elected, then, then, then governing uh, rulers. And 
what you have for someone like Sam is is a person who's from the the inner workings of this machine. So the the points at which the relationship between the people who hold state power and the people who represent private interests uh, blur. And it's when you start to look at those blurred interests, you can, I think, start to un- analyze and try to understand who is benefiting from this relationship, whether it is um, small interconnected elites. And we can, we can certainly come on to those um, there's French and American elites you, you mentioned, whether it's small and uh, interconnected elites uh, benefiting for uh, benefiting personally or whether or, or whether they are, as I think they probably see themselves, kind of trailblazers for uh, for, for massive investment in um, in reconstruction and, and infrastructure development and all these other good things um, in, in Africa. I wonder if you can give us an idea of of what are his most imp- or some of his most important uh, African relationships. I, I, you know, kind of we know that he's involved in Angola very deeply, and also in 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 Guinea. Um, like, what is the what is the nature of those engagements? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have to go back to the start of him, I think, with that. So he, he Sam himself, um, and the, the, the picture we tried to paint is the fullest one we could. But there are still um, there are still lots of things that people don't understand about Sam. And he 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 clearly comes out of of the Chinese intelligence world, and he comes out of it drifting into business around the time that China goes boom uh, around. 2000 and Zhang Zemin's going out policy and what have you and 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 the people who are in the right place at the right time find themselves as the as the go-betweens as, as the middlemen for Chinese investment state and private in in Africa and elsewhere um, and Sam's connections aren't limited to Africa but that's that's been the base and it and the, the heart of it all um, was as you say Ang- Angola and it was it was those those early relationships that he was able to make him and his associates with Manuel Vicente, um who was, of course, the head of Sonangol. This is in around 2003-04, so Angola's just coming out of the war. Again, very fortuitous timing from, from Sam's point of view. Um, and, it, and it's from those Angolan connections, a, a big oil deal in 2004 with, with Sinopec and Sonangol. Um, and then the following year, a big infrastructure package that um, China International Fund arranges for Angolan infrastructure projects. Um, and, and from there... Uh, after about sort of two or three years of, of a pretty kind of seat of the pants consolidation of Sam's interests, you know, projects go wrong, uh, people fall out, but he he, he holds his ground. Um, and from about 2007, when he has a lot of bother, he, he manages from about 2008 onwards to start this, this expansion out into Africa. And a lot of it flows through Angolan channels. So when he goes into Guinea, Manuel Vicente comes along. Uh, and, and helps Sam to make his case for a great big deal with uh, what was then the, the military junta of uh, of uh, Dadis Kamara. Um, uh, similarly, he goes into Zimbabwe around 2000, 2008, Sam, and he starts to deal diamonds, it seems. Um, and not long after that, China Sonangol, which is the Queensway Group's joint venture with, with Sonangol, the Angolan oil company, um, they, they follow Sam in to, uh, to Zimbabwe, and they, they announce... A great big deal in all sorts of things. Uh, I think infrastructure and, and various mineral uh, mineral projects. And it's it, it's almost like um, it's kind of like it works like a pyramid scheme in a way that you go in um, you go into to one country. Sam goes into one country, and the people he he forges forges alliances with in that country help to take him on. So, for instance, he goes into Guinea. Uh, he has talks with Mahmoud Cham, who was the very suave and sophisticated banker, who was the the mining minister under the junta, and and Cham helps. 
uh, help Sam um, and his associates look for more deals in, in, in that case, in Niger and in, in Madagascar. So sort of one, one junta talking to, to two others. Um, and it's, it's that sort of, sort of cascade effect that, that he tries to use. And he's through that, that it, it's possible from some readings of some of the documents, there's a connection between how he got into Zimbabwe and how he got into Tanzania, where things didn't work out for him, possibly, you could argue, because Tanzania is a more a more open political system and it's uh, there's more scrutiny on, on projects like that mm-hmm. um and so these are the layers but just to come back to your initial question basically angola is the base and then uh guinea and zimbabwe have been very high profile but they, they, there's there's probably about a dozen countries where they've they've made it they've they've held talks and maybe in about half of those they've they're starting to come to something you know in your article in the financial times magazine dated back to august 8th uh, you, you, it's a very extensive article, but there's one kind of key voice that seems to be missing, and that is of Sampa or representatives of the Queensway Group. Now, you tried, like other journalists in the past, to, to get them to comment on the record. Not surprisingly, they didn't want to. So let me do my best job now of trying to channel you know, 30 years of China experience to try and kind of take their role and their voice and have you kind of defend it. It's purely hypothetical, but let me just see if we can do this little exercise here. They might you say, if you... If you, if you did get in touch with them, they might say, listen, we are a private company. We are, we, there's been no evidence of us doing anything illegal. Uh, some of the deals that we're doing are with very difficult people, you know, the Robert Mugabe's of the world. Yes, those are difficult deals. But at the end of the day, in places like Angola, in Zimbabwe, we're bringing badly needed infrastructure. We are getting valuable natural resources. We're paying a fair market price for it. We're paying money for it. We're not stealing it from anybody. This is not like the French or the, the British in the imperial era where they actually went in and stole it. So you're portraying us as some kind of sinister, uh, almost uh, you know clandestine type of organization. We're based in Hong Kong. We have operations all over the world. Why are you kind of singling us out when, in fact, this is what you know Shell did in Nigeria? This is what the Americans have been doing for a long time and all over the world. Um, so what say you, Tom Burgess? Um, yeah, uh, I hear you. Um, there's, uh, let's, let me, let me just, I, mean, I didn't mean to put you on the bit. spot there per se, but it's just that idea, that defense of them saying, Hey, we're, we're, no, absolutely. we're playing absolutely. in a tough neighborhood. And frankly, you know, we're, we're not stealing and we're bringing infrastructure. So get off our back. <laughs> I yeah, say no, that I think, you, think, euphemistically, no, a, if you will. Those are, I mean, those are, uh, parts of that, at least I said, perfectly valid arguments. But, um, the first thing I should say is that they, they did write to us. So China Son and Goal wrote back to us. We tried to get hold of, um, half a dozen people who were, who were very important. And some of the, some of the main companies, we wrote to them, we FedExed them, we did all the usual things. I got Sam Parr on the phone twice, very briefly, and he promised to call back and he never did. Um, but, but China Son and Goal, so the, the, the JV between Sam Parr's Hong Kong, uh, associates, the investors there, and and Sonangol from Angola, they did write back to us from their from their Singapore office, and they said some of the things that you've said. They said we're a private company; we don't have to say anything. We're not listed. Um, they also said, you know, we are. Um, uh, they also said, you know, don't they, they, there's there's kind of there's nonsense that's I'm paraphrasing, but they say basically there's there's nonsense that's that, that's been talked about us. Um, we did we did send them 52 questions and they answered four of them. So we did we did put the factual points to them and they didn't they didn't they they uh, they declined to come back on on those points. But the argument you make, I think, is 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 perfectly valid that. Um, it's it's wrong to single out the the Queensway Group, this kind of informal 
grouping that's, that's known as the Queensway group are somehow a completely new uh, new beast. Um, France Afrique, which you've raised, is the, is the perfect example where you have um, you've had uh, you had all those years, especially in West Africa, of members of the French elite, uh, especially places like Gabon. Um, Doing all sorts of extraordinarily dodgy deals uh, that was enriching themselves and keeping some some very nasty people in power, and um, there's nothing um, documented or to suggest that the, that the Queensway Group is um, is doing anything that matches um, that level of kind of plunder. But but you also said that the you know this hypothetical. Um, counter argument would be well hey we're, we're coming to these african countries yes they're tricky places to do business we're bringing in much needed funding for infrastructure and we're paying a fair market price for minerals and i mean on those last two points i suppose the question would be what are you um the, the on on the fair market price we don't know what market pri- what prices they're paying market yeah. or otherwise i mean the angolan um I, a guy called ted george who, who watches angola very closely i mean he brilliantly describes angola as a cryptocracy right i mean it's 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 where everything functions in in um under the surface behind the, these kind of front ministries if you like that that look like a government the Futungu, the, the 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 ruling elite in angola is what's in charge and it's its institutions are kind of like a like a shadow state almost and the occasion you get a glimpse of it see the imf goes in 2011 says hey this $32 billion missing here. And a lot of that has, has flowed through Sonnengold, it seems, which is the Queensway Group's partner. That's not to say the Queensway Group had anything to do with that missing money, but it, it, it's an illumination of the amount of cash um, that's unaccounted for in Angola. The Queensway Group's um, uh, funding arrangements, their lending arrangements into Angola, uh, the terms of which they're repaid, the terms of which the oil is so, sold to them, which ultimately underpins those those loans. Those terms have never been disclosed. Um, the, the 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 precise process um, through which they got their first oil blocks um, it involved various various kind of um, corporate manoeuvres. There was never a tender for that. Um, and similarly in Zimbabwe, they're doing the, there appear to be deals in Zimbabwe. There was a, there was certainly a, a diamond concession at one stage. Looks like Sam uh, is dealing diamonds himself. We have absolutely no idea what, what price he's paying for that. And moreover, you get someone like Tim Diabetes when there was the um, the power sharing government in Zimbabwe coming out and saying, we're, we're, we're only seeing, we the formal government, we the MDC controlled finance ministry, are only seeing a tiny fraction of, of the revenues we'd expect from the level of diamond exports we're seeing. Again, it's not, it's not to try and pin all of this on Sam, but he, he is one of the people playing in that market, which is completely unregulated. So possibly, yes, they are bringing in, um, uh, they are buying money, they are buying natural resources in these countries at, 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 at market rates. Um, but we have absolutely no way of knowing that. They are, of course, free should they wish to disclose what they pay, but they choose not to. Yeah. You know, Cobus, it's interesting to hear Tom's kind of summary of all this because you know, you and I have been talking now with, uh, you know, any number of people from Howard French, and we've discussed Sanusi Lamidos, the former central bank governor of Nigeria, his warnings about an imperialist China in Africa, um, Marwan Bashar of Al Jazeera kind of echoing that as well. And it's interesting because what all of those warnings talk about 
is, you know, is the deal between China, Africa tilted against Africa because of the opacity in terms of we don't know what's actually happening. And what Howard French suggests that so much of the financing is actually happening in China. So it's not even benefiting people in Africa. And the money that's coming to Africa is unfortunately going into the pockets of the cryptocracy in Angola, Nigeria and other places in, in Zimbabwe. So I guess in some ways, when when we when we encounter the the feel-good propaganda of the Chinese, win-win, mutual benefit, all of that, you really should keep in the back of your mind the Queensway group. It just, it just strikes me of that. What's your thought, Kobus? I think we should be asking much, much harder questions about politics in Africa as well. Um, you know, for example, um, uh, two weeks ago, I was I, I was discussing with my students uh, Robert Mugabe's recent visit to China um, and, you know, kind of asking them how they thought it impacted on Chinese soft power in Africa. And all of them, to a person, said that they feel that the fact that, that Robert Mugabe was treated with respect um, in China increased Chinese uh, soft power in Africa. And the fact that Robert Mugabe was so, you know, kind of criticized in the West actually made the West case weaker in Africa. So you have to ask why, you know, kind of why, why does the poly- African politics play in that way? Why, you know, kind of, is it, is it, you know, kind of is, do, do African publics not necessarily, you know, could react negatively to the kleptocracy? Um, there, I think there's something, some big unasked question there. Um, and, you know, kind of, and the, it's one, it's an issue, it's, it's a, some kind of mechanism that, that man, that entrenches, you know, kind of this kind of kleptocratic power in Africa. Um, you know, kind of, Tom, I, I don't know if you agree with that. Um, like, I, what, what do you make of, of this, this kind of, this, Entrenchment of this this kind of politics in Africa, um, and and the, the 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 way that the Chinese have actually taken taken hold of it. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I, I think um, from a sort of view, I think if you try and look at that from an economic point of view, this is what I'm going to try and do in a, in a in a book I'm working on. Is is partly if you if you if you look at the where the um, the most entrenched kleptocratic regimes are, it seems to me it matches up very closely with the highest levels of dependency on, on, on resource income, which is obviously the, the part of the African economy that the Queensway Group is, and many others are primarily plugged into. And if you, I just think it's a, it's a basic thing in some cases about the, the structure of the economy, overlaid, of course, with uh, you know, liberation credentials and, and big man politics and what have you. But fundamentally, um, uh, places like Zimbabwe in recent years with the diamonds, but certainly Nigeria, Angola, uh, Guinea, the DRC, uh, Equatorial Guinea is a big example. If you have an economy and a, and a kind of fiscus where the where there's just a big pot of money in the middle, um, obviously that lends itself to to trying to cap to the politics of trying to capture the state, to patronage politics into to a rentier state, where um, there is very little in between the um, extravagant opportunities for wealth that come with capturing the centre and the and the poverty um, outside of that. And in these enclave economies. Uh, Big men can flourish, and that's exactly what what the Chinese have have tapped into. I think. Um, I, I think they've 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 read the situation well. They're not trying to sort of reinvent Africa from the outside. Basically, they're seeing the, uh, the, the, the the well, what is now the old Sudan, the northern part of Sudan's leadership. They see uh, the Angolan leadership. They've kind of blundered around a bit in Nigeria, but they've tried to deal with that as well. And it's uh, it. I think it's the it's the embrace of that model, which which in many cases, in, in some respects, I'm no China expert, seems to seems to match the Chinese picture for different reasons of very centralised power. Um, 
no, for, for different economic reasons, obviously in different political histories. But it seems that that, uh, that Chinese embrace is very much of the system as it is. And as a result, you get these, I mean, we talk about, we, we, the three of us keep coming back to, like, like many people do, this, this notion of, um, of, of China in Africa or China with individual African countries and, and these comparisons going back to, uh, to the French or the Americans. But I think sometimes that's a mistake to try to see t- t- sort of state-to-state relationships. I mean, if, what, the, what is the Queensway group, if not something closer to Rhodes way back, where you, you get, a, you get a, a, a fusion of people who wield state power with, with, with corporate or private sector power? And, and that's not really a, a creature of any one state. That's that's um, these are things plugged into kind of globalized markets and globalized economies, old ones or new. Um, and something like Queensway Group seems to me is very much that that kind of thing, where where, where particular parts of um, uh, the political elites in African countries and particular parts of of the poles of power in China can come together for their own for their own benefit. So and really, on the side, you might get it. Yeah, yeah, it's really a product of 21st century kind of you know authoritarian capitalism in many respects, which is uh, you know this you know, and I think it's important to define the roles here. And this is one of the difficulties that we have when discussing China and Africa: is who are the Chinese? And and so when we talk about the Queensway Group, is it? Is it, is it the state? It doesn't look like it, but it certainly has probably very strong state relationships. At the same time, you've talked about how the state has been a little bit wary sometimes of dealing with Queensway Group because they can get ahead uh, or have an, an, an adverse effect on policy. And so, again, it comes to these, these very gray areas between the, the corporation, uh, a state, individual actors and whatnot. And I think that's what makes defining the Queensway Group difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, I'm Sitting in the newsroom on the next desk, along from James King, is one of the one of the great writers on 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 China, uh, and he's written about this very well. I mean, the, the, from the from the Chinese side, the the sheer chaos of um, of the last twenty years of economic development, which which if you look at it too simplistically, in China can can seem like it's all very planned and and, and orderly, but it's thrown up all sorts of characters from nowhere uh, who are related to. Uh, you know, in some cases, an intelligence ministry. In some cases, a particular family. Um, in some cases, a, a particular region. And and the, people can people in China as in anywhere can barter their connections. They can pull a string here, pull a string there. There's a change of leadership. They have to find a new patron. And 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 this is not. So this is not. Um, this is. I'd say. The reverse of the idea that Sampar has somehow uh, been, you know, very, very deliberately sent forth by um, uh, by the by the by the party standing committee. No, he's someone who has who has parlayed his connections. So in some ways, I suppose he's representative of some of those poles of Chinese power, and uh, and seemingly has has some very high level connections to 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 individual power brokers in China, which which change over time. But he's not. Um, neither he nor nor anyone else below the very very top levels of chinese emissaries to to africa um could be said i think to represent um you know a unified chinese strategy um how do you think the west is going to react to all of this you mentioned in your article that there are investigations of the queensway group going on in the us and uh, how how do you think they're going to develop and does the western re- western reaction really matter i mean can, will it have any effect yeah, true. I mean, there's there's two questions there. I think one, the the, the nature of of U.S. interest in the Queensway Group is is it's not entirely clear. Um, 
uh, obviously they've put Sam and and one company linked to the the Queensway Group Interest in Zimbabwe on the on the sanctions list. Um, there are uh, there are ongoing um, U.S. Uh, corruption investigations in Guinea and in Angola. Neither of them are connected to the Queensway Group um, directly in any way, but one's into um, uh, iron ore in Guinea and one's into uh, an oil deal in Angola. But um, that's the kind of they're very much the, those U.S. investigators are very much looking at the, um, the the times and the the, the groups uh, who were who were arranging those. Um, those deals and and at the same time that the Queensway group was active there whether whether they take a more active look at at, at par uh, and the Queensway group uh, and whether that will have any effect i don't know i mean they have they have 23 wall street china sonogol uh, owns 23 wall street so they have us assets which are potentially vulnerable they do increasingly rely on on partnerships with um it's companies juniors that are listed in uh, in in the US in um, or that have registered offices in the US that have interest in uh, and listings in Canada and in 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 London. So there's an extent to which the Queensway Group is plugging itself into the West financially. Um, so so a big US um, clampdown on them could could have an effect like that. But similarly, I think the most telling thing was you know directly after the. Um, uh, the U.S. Treasury put Sam, put Sam and this one Queensway Group company on the sanctions list. Um, Sam goes um, and, and and does and signs up for a, for a China International Fund deal with 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 uh, the Moscow um, the Moscow municipality. This is around the same time as the annexation of Crimea, and you know you could you could see those things. Uh, I have no idea if, the, if 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 any sort of thumbing of the nose was intended but you could, the, the sequence of those things I imagine some part kind of relishing and saying well you in Washington can do what you're like against me but I can um, this is a, this is a new world now you can you can be in the bad books in Washington and still and still get ahead yeah it doesn't seem like he's too afraid of American sanctions I kind of want to look forward a little bit um, and, and towards the end of your story you you uh, you had a, a kind of a little bit of an omen and you said uh, quote the story of Pa and the Queensway Group exposes another side of China's dealings in Africa, one that heralds not a new dawn, but the risk of perpetuating past misrule. And you kind of obviously that's a warning that, uh, that this could be a very dangerous relationship for Africa. And I'd like you to try and see where this goes looking forward. Well, you mentioned, um, I think you mentioned Sanusi, who gave the Lamido Sanusi in Nigeria, who gave these kind of warnings about a new, a new imperialism. I think there's I think there are two main risks which we're kind of seeing already. Um, one is that um, just at the moment that you've got a big kind of transparency movement in Europe and the US um, to force uh, big oil and mining companies to declare their payments to governments, you have groups like the, the, the Queensway Group that are prepared to operate um, in countries who who really cherish the opacity of their state finances, um, and here is you know another corporate network with lots of offshore holdings, um, and ultimately held in in, in Hong Kong, um, which, which which provides and has has demonstrated that it's prepared to provide um, uh, pretty secretive ways of doing business. So that's one part of the problem that's that's one way where a lot of whether a lot of the a lot of the sort of kleptocratic misrule of the past in africa has been based on having those kind of that kind of access to big corporate networks the other one is that you get a, a kind of cold war scenario so um 
where, and this is a broader point, not just the, the, the Queensway group, really, um, as as you have China thrusting further into Africa, you get this um, you get this ability of people who want to uh, preserve their power and be less and less responsive to the popular will, if you like. You can play one side off against the other, like the way Mobutu used to do. Um, so you have somewhere like Tangier, Niger, um, uh, where you know the, the Queensway Group arrived and didn't get very far, but they arrived after his time. In any case, where you have a that coup in 2010 that was effectively um, the, the product of of a um, a president deciding that he could use his new Chinese friends to trample all over the institutions of state and mm-hmm. lock up the opposition. Um, if you get that kind of ability to barter, as you did during the during the Cold War, where it's, I think I think it was Kissinger, wasn't it? He said um, he may be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. Yeah, I mean, no, if, absolutely. If you, can, uh, if you can play, if you can play that game again because of because of Chinese rivalry with the West, um, I think that's the way that you get that perpetuation of, the, of those old and pretty pretty ruinous patterns. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't uh, it does raise a lot of questions and a lot of concern. And again, I think anybody who looks at the China Africa relationship and, and sees again the the flowery talk coming from both sides, frankly, not just from the China side, but also from the public uh, statements of African leaders as well, should really, really take a look at uh, Tom's reporting in the Financial Times. Go back to August 8th, do a search for China in Africa, how Sam Pa became the middleman. And I also want to recommend that you take a look uh, at the the economist who back in 2011 uh, wrote an article on the China International Fund, the Queensway Syndicate, and the Africa trade. Both of those articles together will help kind of give you a picture of this very, very opaque, very mysterious group and the people who run it and also raise a lot of worthwhile uh, questions. I think Kobus brought up the good point that what this kind of reporting does is it should prompt all of us to ask more difficult, more pressing questions and go beyond just the headlines uh, of what we're seeing in the China-Africa relationship because it is far more complex, sometimes far more nefarious than what we see on the surface. Tom, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, I understand that you are, you mentioned earlier that you're putting together a book, The Looting Machine. When can we expect to see uh, a book from you? Um, that yeah, that will be out in the first half of next year. It's HarperCollins UK and the and English speaking world, apart from um, the US, where it's public affairs. And yeah, it'll be out. Um, can't give you a precise date yet, but okay. before the middle of next year. Well, but you said it's going to be on African oil and mining. Is there going to be a lot of discussion of the Chinese in, in the book? Yep, there'll be more on the Queensway Group and more on uh, well, we mentioned that coup in Niger. There'll be more digging into that and what went on there. And uh, in the, in the context of what we were talking about earlier, this this continued dependence of on resources, which goes back far further than any of these kind of chapters of of, of African um, international diplomacy. It's that it's it's really trying to get to the heart of what what Africa is, if you like, in some ways the richest continent in the world. Uh, how it's how it's paid dearly for that wealth. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's fascinating. We're really looking forward to the book. In the meantime, uh, one, one of the things we do at the end of every show is we like to kind of drop people off uh, at your social media. Do you have Twitter or Facebook accounts that people can follow what you're reading and writing and some of your work that you do? Yeah, sure. Just, uh, Twitter's the best thing. It's just at Tom Burgess. Tom Burgess. That's T-O-M-B-U-R-G-I-S. Uh, look him up on Twitter. Thank you so much. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Kobus, who uh, his internet connection from South Africa did not last the length of our show. So we've lost Kobus on the line, but I will kind of stand in, in, stand in for him and let everybody know that uh, you can find him at uh, Twitter at Stadenesque, S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And of course, uh, Facebook is a great 
place to find us now. We're over 220,000 followers from all over the world to talk about China and Africa every single day. Uh, it's a great place to follow some of Tom's reporting where we put up links from the FT. Uh, we put links up from Al Jazeera. And every day we're putting up almost three, uh, every three hours we're posting uh, comments and links and things like that. So it's a great way to stay on top of the headlines. Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And if you want to follow the podcast, just look us up on SoundCloud, iTunes, and of course, over on the Chinafile.com website. Until next time, we'll be back with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.